You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning to everyone. Uh, I'm Bill Wartman, and I teach at uh, Samford University in uh, classical studies. So I'm teaching Greek and Latin. It's never good when you have to say your major and then explain what it is, you know? (laughs) Like nobody says computers, you know, I'm in computer science. Oh yeah, what's that? <laughs> uh, and teach uh, great books. Uh, there are some, and then, um, which is what I'm doing this uh, semester. And then uh, what used to be called great books. Um, and then uh, I uh, run IPUB, the Institute for the Public Understanding of the Bible, IPUB.org, easy to find us, um, uh, where we promote meaningful conversation about the Bible with the non-believing. So I spend most of my time either talking to the non-believing or doing a video or a podcast interview or something to generate more conversation. So this week I I published a video, uh, a response to a a professor, James Tabor, a very uh, famous uh, esteemed professor from the University of North Carolina, uh, who is, uh, that is in contrast to me, just to be clear, uh, and um, who uh, was talking about the uh, misuse of scripture by the apostle Paul and uh, in order to show Paul's misuse of Scripture, he decided to start with Matthew to say what Matthew does in using Scripture. That's really not so bad. But then proceeds to say Matthew takes all these Old Testament Scriptures completely out of context, of course. But the, the original context has nothing to do with how he uses the, the words, you know, in Matthew chapters, say, 1 and 2. And so I responded to a couple of the citations Matthew uses that he references. Out of Egypt I've called my son and the virgin shall conceive, two different verses, by the way, one from Isaiah, one from Hosea, Hosea Isaiah. Uh, and uh, you can find that at the iPub YouTube channel uh, if you want to hear uh, how I explain that a verse that isn't a prediction in Hosea, that refers to the nation of Israel in Hosea, is fulfilled in the infancy narrative of Jesus. And uh, how does any of that have to do with Jesus directly? And how would it be fulfilled if it's not even a prediction? So I explain that, uh, and you can you can see if that's convincing. And if not, you can. Uh, they have a comment section underneath, which of course we all know is garbage, right? <laughs> These comment sections are garbage. But then everybody still looks down at the comment section, don't they? Read a few comments and then reaffirm in their mind, "Yep, it was garbage." You know, but once in a while, it's there's some things in there that's not not so bad. Um, all right, anyway, uh, so that's enough background. Uh, I, if you're interested in the, in the, in the iPub, um, our, uh, you want to get an email from me about once a month, uh, six, four to six weeks, we put out an email, and all it is is just the next video we've, we've published, so it's just resources. Anyway, if you're interested in that, you can sign up on the iPub list. Uh, and we're talking about Daniel. Bible's over here, right. Gil has stocked us with Bibles. If you don't have one on your phone, hopefully you do have one on your phone, you can just use that. I think it'll be helpful. Uh, and um, to have a Bible, uh, we will uh, just can be helpful in a lot of ways, I think. Uh, but sometimes people, I guess, maybe listen better. I don't know. Um, any, really, I'm such a bad listener. Literally, any trick you have to help me listen better, I'm open to it. <laughs> so it's nice to uh, have. Sometimes a Bible is helpful. If also, also, if nothing else, if you're bored, you can look down and look at the text yourself and do your own thinking. And then it looks like you're engaged, but really you're just thinking about, <laughs> hopefully Daniel, but 
uh, whatever. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna start in um, uh, Daniel chapter uh, ten. Uh, yeah, Daniel chapter ten. You can work your way over to there. We're not gonna talk. We're not gonna read it quite yet because we're gonna talk about that little map I gave you. So so uh, this these sessions are on interpreting Daniel. All right, ways in which to approach the book. It's a notoriously difficult book to interpret, particularly the visions of Daniel. We've all heard many of the, the sort of Sunday school type stories of Daniel in the lion's den and then the fiery furnace, the friends and things. But the visions you don't tend to hear as much, especially when you're in like fourth grade. So, uh, and even later, often there's just confusion and, and disagreement, I would say, a lot. Last week we talked about how this, the symbols in these visions are not for obfuscation. They're not designed to create mystery so you can't figure out what's going on, which is the effect sometimes they have on people. The symbols are revelation. They're the reverse of obfuscation. The symbol is designed to reveal something obvious and poignant and relevant to what the meaning, the internal meaning of the vision is. Okay, and I won't go over that all again like I did last week, but showed some examples where the symbols are meant to be obvious. I think today, uh, in one way or another, in some references I make, it will become clear that that's true, that the symbols are meant to be revelation. They're meant to clarify and add light and power to the revelation of God rather than its reverse. Uh, you can see uh, on this uh, sheet here that you have um, all the colored stuff at the top, right, is just the 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 10 stories that comprise the book of Daniel, all right? Uh, and they're arranged in pairs. I'll explain that in just a second. And then underneath it, you just have uh, themes that run through the book. That's all the stuff underneath is just themes that run through the book. You can look at that on your own time when you're trying to read Daniel. We're not going to talk a ton about them, but I'll uh, maybe just pick one uh, now. The um, uh, the animals, or rather the, um, what, I guess what you would call a, a hierarchy of being. That's the way they referred to it in the, in the middle, middle, age, middle Ages, by the way. Uh, the hierarchy of being. Meaning, you have a plethora of creatures in the book of Daniel. You may not have noticed it before, you've been reading it, I don't know. But you have things like inanimate things, of course. Part, that's part of the hierarchy of existence, things that were created. You have rocks and stones and mountains, things like that, which are inanimate things, but part of the hierarchy of existence. They're on the low end, but they play a fairly prominent role, actually, in the book of Daniel. And then you have, uh, oh, I should have, could have added to that, rivers, another major theme in the book of Daniel. But then you can go up above that level of existence to uh, birds and squirrels. I think they're just above, aren't they? Uh, rocks and things like that. Or maybe we should, oh, we missed the one in between. Plants, you have trees. The great vision of a tree is very famous in Daniel chapter 4. Trees, of course, are above rocks and mountains and rivers because they're living things. And then above them, as I said, you have squirrels and birds, which take residence in the trees. This is all in Daniel 4. And then, of course, you have animals above birds and squirrels. I should have put poodles in between the birds and squirrels, I guess. Uh, and then, sorry for those of you who have, well, I have an Australian shepherd, so I, uh, it's an inside joke that I shouldn't have said. <laughs> the, above the, uh, you know, the small animals, you have big beasts, do you not? Leopards and lions. Famous stories about lions in the book of Daniel. 
and you have smaller type ferocious beasts like goats and rams. In fact, there's one place where a goat and a ram face off. Do they not? In the vision in chapter 8 of Daniel. But then that makes you wonder, how many people know much about goats and rams anymore? Who wins the face-off? They fight. They war. But who wins? And would you be shocked if you knew anything about goats and rams? Who won? Would you wonder how they won? Does it play into the meaning of the vision? Mm-hmm. Yep, it does, actually. So it's nice to have a little experience in the land and with animals to understand, as I said, the obvious meaning, what would have been obvious to the ancient hearers. Okay, uh, And then, of course, we have above animals, we have man, men, lots of men, but not just men in general, but emphasis on man, capital M, humanity. The great image that Nebuchadnezzar sees in his dream is a giant man and represents worldwide governments, empires, all in one image of a man, okay, humanity. And then, of course, the fingers that write on the wall, you remember it says specifically, they're the fingers of a human hand, and so on. So this emphasis on man. And then you go above man. What's above man? Some people think there's nothing above man in the world, right? A lot of people think there's nothing above man. There is. To us, there is something above man. In the revelation of Scripture, what's above? What beings are above men? And women, even. Angels. Are angels in the book of Daniel? Absolutely. There are numerous visions involving angels and discussions about the functionality of angels and what they're up to and how it relates to governments. Do you not find that just a little bit interesting? You think our government, it, the full total explanation of the actions of the American government is solely found in the Congress and the presidency, Supreme Court and so on? Not in Daniel. There, is, there are beings above the governments of this world who are involved in the course of history. And then you get not just angels, but you get divine figures, theophanies, like the one who appeared with the friends of Daniel in the burning fiery furnace, who is like a son of the gods, says Nebuchadnezzar, appeared to be a divine figure. And then, of course, you also have the uh, image of the, uh, in the we're going to read here in just a minute, of a what appears to be a divine figure. And, of course, you have gods. Gods that the Nebuchad Nebuchadnezzar and the Persians, the Babylonians and the Persians worshipped. And then you have God, capital G, Elohim, the highest being. Actually, the, what they call, the philosophers call the ground of being, out of which all these beings come to exist. That's a fascinating thing in itself, isn't it? That's quite a theme, isn't it, that runs through the book, that is uh, unique and worth 
a look. Anyway, then you have the structure, as I said, story pairs. Okay, um, the first story in Daniel, you, you can see now, this is a, this, if, you, if you want to take a break for your eyes, there's a good chance you, know, you look at the paper and then you don't have to look at me. Uh, and you can see the first story there in, uh, what is that, green? In green is Daniel's refusal to uh, obey the command of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. That is the first of five stories. We read about Babylon for the next five stories. All right, five stories. In chapter five, of course, Belshazzar, the regent, the uh, king of Babylon, is uh, killed and Babylon collapses and ends. That is the end of Babylon. It is taken over by Persia, the final verse of chapter 5, the end of the first half of the book, is about the end of Babylon. All right? Got it. Now, the second half of the book also has five stories. That's easy to, to see, isn't it? And it begins with Daniel refusing to obey. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Refusing to obey not a command, but a prohibition. That's kind of like a negative command, isn't it? A prohibition, not by Babylon, but by Persia. Uh, and that kicks us off in the second half of the book. You can see right away the beginning of the two halves of the book have two very similar stories. And it ends with a vision in chapters 10, 11, and 12. And what is that vision about? Well, Daniel tries to tell us. <laughs> he repeats over and over again what the end of the vision is about. It's about the time of the end of not just one government, the Persian government, but of all human government. And you see, we end the book in the second half as we did in the first half. And in between, of course, are story pairs. What do I mean by story pairs? All right, so let me explain that really fast. It's yellow, is it, the first story pair? Yeah, it's yellow. Uh, we have an image, a statue, that Nebuchadnezzar sees in his dream. Yeah, I think you probably know that, familiar with that story, hopefully. If not, I would think you'd be very curious right now and want to read, read it. It's a colossus statue made of various metals gleaming in the desert, a head of gold. Can you imagine seeing a head of gold in a desert, high and lofty? That would be quite a sight. A colossus statue. And then the next story, you can see there, other half of the pair, is about, what does it say there? A statue. Yeah, there you go. That's not too hard to see, is it? Two, a pair of stories about statues. One in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the other set up by Nebuchadnezzar of his god. Um, but then right away we see something interesting because the dream image, the statue provided in Nebuchadnezzar's dream was provided by God. It was set up by God. And it's a statue of a man, of humanity. That is to say, it's telling you something about humanity. Humanity. 
It's a revelation of humanity. You learn what God thinks about man, capital M. And in the next story, it's other side of the pair of the two, we now have a statue of a god set up by a man. And that tells you what a man thinks about God. What did Nebuchadnezzar think about God? What parts did he get right? And what parts did he get woefully, dangerously wrong? So you see, they're an obvious pair of stories, are they not? And then the next pair of stories are the stories of the two kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, who are disciplined and judged by God. And then after the story of Daniel in the lion's den, you get to the next yellow pair there on your sheet, and there you have two visions of animals. One, the four beasts, the four wild animals, and then the other, the two animals. That's the ram and the goat who go to war. I'm just wondering off the top of your head, does anyone know who should win between a ram and a goat? <laughs> Most people think ram, right? Yeah. All right. I'd be hard if you were like from, where do the rams play these days? I've lived in so many cities, I don't even know where they play. I'm a Vikings fan, so it's, it's for me, it's just, you know, there's, Vikings have only played one place, but you know. Uh, and thankfully, I can boast about them now because they haven't lost yet. But it's coming. Well, it's coming. Uh, Long-suffering Vikings fan. So, uh, yeah, you the ram with those big uh, horns and stuff. Surely the ram. You know, <laughs> I wonder would an ancient person have immediately thought a ram was going to beat a goat? Hmm. You know what another word for ram is? Sheep. <laughs> uh, now, <laughs> I don't know what you normally think about sheep. And what experience you've had with sheep, but uh, they're not known, you know, for being fierce warriors. Um, you don't be fooled by the horns. Uh, but uh, a goat, goats might be a little smaller, but they are very, very smart, right? Very smart. If they're going to win, it'll be with this. And why did God choose that animal? <laughs> because it represents Greece. Do you know anything about the ancient Greeks, do you? Anything to do with the mind <laughs> associated with ancient Greeks? <laughs> you see, the, uh, Im the animals again are supposed to be obvious symbols and not obfuscations of what God's trying to communicate. Uh, so anyway, uh, all that's just sort of by way of introduction to frame a little bit about the, the book. Uh, and now let's take a look just at two things uh, that have to do with interpreting visions. So this is structure. What I was trying to do there, you see, is just show you that understanding the structure of the book, the flow and the arrangement of the stories, is part of understanding the meaning of the visions. Otherwise, you're just looking like this, you know, in chapter 7, and you're not connecting it to anything else. Okay? Uh, the vision in chapter 7 is about four beasts. But what do those beasts represent? In chapter 7, they represent four governments. 
four governments. <laughs> Earlier in the book, those same four governments are represented by something else, not beasts. I wonder what it is, <laughs> and I wonder how it compares to beasts. Well, we'll talk about that, uh, I think, next week. All right, so today we're going to talk about time and geography. Time and geography. All right, so let's read uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. I don't know if that meant anything to you, but that's the chronological setting of the vision. If it didn't mean anything to you, you have some work cut out for you, right? God doesn't waste a comma of Scripture on irrelevant information. Uh, we'll come back to it. Here, I'll do your work for you today. How's that? Um, and then uh, we see in verse 2, it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate uh, no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. I guess that means he normally would eat some delicacies, <laughs> but not during these three weeks. Uh, and then verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. Does the 24th day of the first month mean anything to you? Um, you know anything about the river Tigris? It's a pretty big river, about a mile across around Babylon. Um, so, uh, so, the, so these, this would be some work then, wouldn't it? Again, if we don't know the difference between a ram and a goat, God has provided for us Wikipedia. <laughs> so we can find these things out really fast. Or maybe even one or two more reliable sources, like a farmer. Um, all right, uh, then uh, let's read chapter 11, verse 10. His sons, this is referring to uh, the, the, the wars that take place between Greek kings that are subsequent to Daniel. These are part of the vision that Daniel is seeing about the future. His sons shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through. All right, And then verse 40. It says... At the time of the end, the king of the, south, of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships, and he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. Um, and then in chapter 12, verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, we're going to go back and read about this man in just a second, who was above the waters of the stream. And then verse 7 says, And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. And then just real quickly back in chapter 10, one more time. Yes, I've d deliberately tried to make this as confusing as possible. 
read verses that you have no idea what connects them, uh, except they do have to do with time and geography. I did mention that, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, all right, so chapter 10, again, verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen. That's the man who was above the river. With a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist, his body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. All right, and that is the vision then that Daniel sees, this vision of someone who doesn't just seem like an angel. He could just be an angel, of course, but no other angel in the book is described like this. And if one were to compare it to other visions in Scripture, like those in Ezekiel or the Revelation, it appears to be an obvious attempt at making it clear to us that this just isn't any old being, but this is the source of all being, His Excellency, His majestic beauty Himself. Come at the end of the book to reveal the time of the end. Um, <clears throat> and interpret for Daniel the book of truth, as it's called in uh, this vision. All right, so this vision takes up three chapters. It's one story. Don't be fooled by the fact that there's 12 chapters. You all know the chapters aren't original to uh, these texts, right? You have to look at the stories, not just the chapters. There's 10 stories, and the final story is this vision across three chapters. Uh, and it begins with a time reference. Um, let's start with the one uh, that is second on the 24th day of the first month. I'm going to see if I can coax this out of you with some hints. Unless you are, some of you know it. Does anybody already, does someone know, know it? What's, it's, uh, did you say the flood? Uh, uh, it's not related to the flood directly, at least not to, to my knowledge, uh, 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 but maybe, maybe it is. Maybe I need to go back and read the flood now. <laughs> uh, you're talking about the Noah's flood. Oh, the Tigris. Yeah, the Tigris. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, you mean the time of year where it would flood? Yes, in the spring. I see what you mean. Yeah, very insightful. Wow, I hadn't thought about that. That's not surprising, my wife would say. Uh, the... Um, Yes, I was thinking more in terms of the Jewish calendars, which had been, of course, established for centuries. Uh, does anyone know what happened in the first month? Uh, we have, um, when we think of first month, we normally think now, right? Today this is the first month. Tomorrow, did you hear tomorrow is the most depressing day of the year? Mon tomorrow is traditionally the most depressing day of the year. I don't know who decides these things, but uh, someone who's very depressing, I guess. But uh, to, this is January, the first month of the year. Kind of, right? That's one way to look at the calendar. There's another way to look at it where we would say the first month of the year for our nation is July. Why is it July? Because that's when our nation was born. And Independence Day is July 4th. It's not July 1st, it's July 4th. But that month is, you know, if there's going to be a... Uh, I, I lived through the... Um, uh, which, which centennial, was it bicentennial, I guess? Yeah, Seven, uh, 1976. Uh, I was alive, you know, and I remember the, the pageantry and everything. So I guess there'll be another one soon. Is that the, that's the way life works. I see another one now. <laughs> Pretty, and it went by like that. Um, and uh, 
what about for the Jews? The first month. Why is the first month the first month? Yeah? Planning of the tabernacle. Yes, that's part of it. I mean, that's part of the story. Yes, it's, yeah, their Independence Day is Passover. Did you know that? That's July 4th for the Jews. Why is that? Because they were enslaved in Egypt. And then they were delivered through the Passover. And they were reborn as a nation. They came alive again, you might say. In fact, when they came out of Egypt, God said to Moses, you're going to have a new calendar. And they inaugurated a whole new calendar. And the first month of the calendar, the month Nisan, is the month in which the Passover celebration takes place. Because that is the remembrance of their rebirth coming alive out of the dead. And that was the story, you know, in order for them to be reborn, God had to judge Pharaoh. That is to say that Pharaoh's reign came to an end, catastrophically, did it not? In the Red Sea. God judged that government. And that particular pharaonic regime ended in order to deliver Israel. Now, if this is taking, that by the way, the Passover was celebrated from the 14th to the 21st. And this is the what day? Just after the Passover celebration. They've just celebrated the feast. And Daniel is in mourning. Why is he in mourning? Yes, they're in, down in Babylon. They're not in Jerusalem now. Actually, a small group has already gotten back to Jerusalem about two years before this. But the early reports coming from Ezra, Ezra were not very encouraging. And Daniel is in mourning. Will it ever end this endless cycle of war and the struggle for control in this world? Will there ever be an end to it? Daniel, at this stage, has a vision of the end. And it's at Passover. <laughs> and it's a vision of how all human governments, together with the one that was oppressing Israel, were going to be judged. And when he went to describe Israel's release, he describes it as the resurrection from the dead. Chapter 12 of Daniel. It's no accident, is it then, that our vision takes place on the heels of the Passover. You can almost predict what the vision's going to be about just based on the timing of the vision, the chronological setting of the vision. Third year of the reign of Cyrus. Now, Daniel, remember, was taken captive by the Babylonians in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. It's been a whole empire since uh, then to now, this vision. We are now in the third year of the reign of Cyrus. Does anyone know how long the Babylonian empire 
overtook Israel before the, Is the uh, Israelites came back? Jeremiah predicted the exact timing, how long it would take. Anyone know? Seventy years Israel would be in exile in Babylon. Seventy years. And so around 605, Daniel gets taken to Babylon. If we're in the third year of the reign of Cyrus, and Daniel was but a young teenage boy, 12, 13, whatever, 14. He's in his mid-80s-ish now. We don't know the exact year of his. There's some disagreement of within five or so years, 10 years of his. But either way, he's an old man, isn't he? Sorry. I don't feel so confident saying he's old as I'm getting closer to these ages. But anyway, he was an old man. He had a lot to reflect upon, didn't he? How many wars had Daniel seen in his life? How many battles that the Babylonians fought and the Persians fought on their rise and the Jews fought? So many wars. And the exchange of control and of governments. Uh, he had seen a lot and he had reflected a lot. He had a lot to reflect on. Um, well, it's interesting, isn't it, that he's mourning and in fasting. Sometimes, I can already feel it, the day is ending a little sooner than it used to. <laughs> Especially productivity, right? It gets, the work day gets shorter and shorter regardless of how long you're at work. <laughs> You just get worn down. You can hardly blame people for just wanting to head to Thailand, as the coach of the Arizona Cardinals announced this morning. He's got a one-way ticket to Thailand, he said. He's done coaching. You just hardly can blame him. He's actually not that old. Daniel, in his twilight years, was giving his last full measure of devotion as Lincoln put it, not letting even those final years slip away, but wholly devoted to God and to His purposes and rolling up His sleeves with the sufferings of His people in reflecting on the past. What a better place to reflect upon it than at a river. Funny thing about a uh, river, you know, he's at the Tigris River. Uh, you ever take a little uh, rock, you know, and you throw it into the river? drop it into the river, and try to look at the same spot once the rock has disappeared beneath the surface of the river. Because you get a little bit of a quick ripple, and it doesn't last long, right? Because it's not a lake. And before you know it, all the ripples are gone, and you just see the fast-moving water. And to try and keep your eye on that one spot is almost impossible, isn't it? Unless you can see something at the bottom of the river, you know, it's so clear. It's a Minnesota river, you know, you can see at the very bottom. You can't stop it. Why is this such an interesting vision for now? Because the vision is about time and the time of the end. I don't know about you, but time is ruthlessly stubborn. It refuses to stop for me when I want it to. It just keeps flowing 
onward, always moving inexorably forward. Daniel had his vision about time at the river. And the river, of course, was not just about time as some abstract idea, but events moving forward inexorably. And in this case, the events of governments and their fighting over control and all the blood that's been spilled. The armies that come through, I haven't lived through an army coming through my lands. I've sure read a lot about them. What is it like when an army comes through? 100,000 people coming through your lands. Well, the prophets, including Daniel, had a nice little metaphor for it. It was like a river in flood season, overflowing its banks and passing through right up to your chin, if you were lucky to survive it. And once it left, an absolute carnage and a wreck is left behind. What a nice fitting metaphor for the governments of this world. Yes, they've built many magnificent things, of course, too. But the destruction, the damage. You see, I read those verses to you, didn't I, about Daniel's vision of the armies passing through and overflowing its banks in utter destruction. This is, again, just geography. Uh, so, what does it mean for this old man, the prophet, looking at the past, reflecting on where the course of the future holds? What's around the bend for this world? That's when he gets his vision. And now I want to just finish by emphasizing that the vision he got from God himself, where exactly does God put himself for the vision to be interpreted? He doesn't come alongside Daniel and stand next to him. He doesn't put his toes in the river and stand in the banks of the river. He doesn't stand on the other side of the river and shout across it. Where is this figure? I tried to read it a couple of times. Does anyone remember where he is? He is above the river. You see, you stand next to a river, you can't see. It goes around the bend. You can't see where it goes. But this one stood above the river and he could tell you what it meant all of it where it had come from and where it was all headed time speaking of time we have bells <laughs> do they always announce the end of the study that would be very helpful it's just happening okay oh okay all right i was thinking it's very useful uh, <laughs> 
Anyway, it's like we're in the middle. We're in the Middle Ages. Uh, time, anyway. Time and geography, right? We haven't hardly gone into the vision. We're just trying to look for help from the prophet. And as we approach the vision and its meaning and how to interpret it, and factoring in the time, the chronology, the chronological setting, the geographical setting, and the, even the physical placement in this case of the theophany. Okay? So, just a few things. Hopefully that helps and inspires you to uh, maybe read a portion of scripture you might otherwise not have read this week, which is Daniel 10, 11, and uh, 12. I highly recommend uh, uh, the book by John Lennox, by the way, uh, who's written a book on Daniel. I highly recommend it if you start to read chapters 10, 11, and 12 and get stuck in the mud of the river and can't figure out some of the things. It's a very useful uh, tool. I'm uh, currently working on a reading guide on our, uh, which is on our YouTube channel, but I'm only halfway through, so there's no, no comments on 10, 11, and 12, but then I would read John Lennox's book first anyway. John Lennox, uh, Against the Flow. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you uh, for this vision of one who is above the river of this world. The flow of history, it just seems, oh God, like that river is speeding up beyond what anyone, government or citizen, can control anymore. And we are so grateful that there is, uh, that we have this vision of you fixed above the river and revealing to us the truth about the time of the end. So much to learn that you revealed to Daniel. We pray for all these uh, uh, Christians here to um, be sure to keep an eye on this book and to feed upon it and to rely upon its revelation of these truths that Daniel was uh, shown, that they might help us be oriented in a very confusing world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.